0: Welcome to Cancer Docs Talk, a bi-weekly podcast where oncologists discuss the latest cancer news produced by Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. Our host is Dr. Gilberto Lopes, a recognized leader and director of global oncology at Sylvester and a renowned medical oncologist specializing in lung cancer. Welcome to our pre-ASCO podcast. My name is Gilberto Lopes and I have my great friend and colleague Dr. Carmen Kalfa, with me here today. I'm going to ask her to introduce herself in a second, but we're going to start by discussing what we will be looking at today. As we are about 2 weeks to start with ASCO Annual Meeting, the American Society of Clinical Oncology 2018 meeting, we have a number of interesting novelty presentations that we're going to be seeing in Chicago. And we hope to discuss the main ones, the ones that we have been waiting for a while. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Keynote 042, which is a study for which I was the PI and I'll be the presenter at the plenary session. And I want Carmen to talk to us about what can we expect for breast cancer in the meeting and especially about two trials called Taylor X and Persephone. Carmen, please do start by introducing yourself and we'll take it from there.
1: Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm Carmen Kalfa, I'm a breast medical oncologist at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center. I'm happy to be here with my friend, Gilberto. We did fellowship together. This goes years back. You don't want to count. And, no, you uh, stopped
0: counting a few years ago.
1: Gilberto has always been amazing, and he continues to amaze me. And I'm really grateful that he's putting this uh, podcast together because not, no, not only that he's going to present at the plenary session and make us all really proud, but he's also you know, taking the field uh, to the next step, which is really precision medicine and really trying to target uh, what makes the cell grow rather than just target and not target and just go after every cell that moves in the body, which creates so much more toxicity and potentially so much less activity. So I'm really proud to be with Gilberto here today, and I'm hoping you're going to enjoy the conversation. We do look forward to our two annual meetings. ASCO is uh, one of my favorite one out of the two. Um, We cannot appreciate more the patient participation in the clinical trials. And having seen this uh, study evolve from the initial presentation in 2015 in New England Journal to now, awaiting its presentation again at a plenary session, and having had patients going in the trial, trusting us that the design is good and they're gonna do well, It's really making me see it from its inception to really coming to fruition. So I'm happy to be here, and we're going to cover uh, what I think is important uh, at ASCO. Everything is going to be important at ASCO. It's always like that. But we're going to keep some of it for after ASCO to really give you all the updates. One thing is important, I think this podcast is really uh, great we can apply the data that we think is going to be presented, and we can just go based on the rumors that have started, and we can go based on abstracts and just little glimpse of what the studies look like. Uh, and that's the beauty of being there, 40,000 of us, and really asking the question, I see Who can we really apply the data to? Because what's happening, a lot of people are applying prematurely or not to the patients that were included in the study. And I think one of our roles here at the university is really to really bring the details relevant to every study and see which patient really benefits from that. And then some of it, it needs to wait for mature data. So looking forward to this podcast and your participation. Thank you.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Carmen, for that. The plenary session at ASCO this year is going to be happening on Sunday. That's June 3rd. And the session starts at 1 p.m. and goes through 4 p.m. at Hall B1. We have four late-breaking abstracts. The two we're not going to be discussing today we hope to bring forward in our next podcast. And those two include a maintenance low-dose chemotherapy trial for children with uh, rhabdomyosarcoma. And the second is a trial for patients with kidney cancer in which patients can receive sunitinib and may or may not have surgery for their primary. And those are important trials that will likely set new standards as well, and we hope to discuss them when we come back from Chicago. The two trials that we will be discussing today are, as I mentioned, late break abstract number one, which is Thalorex, and late-breaking abstract number four, which is Keynote 042. And I'm gonna start asking, Carmen, what is Taylor-X? What do we know about it so far and what we're we hoping to learn in Chicago?
1: So taylor is a study that uh, we've all been waiting for. That are actually patients waiting to see the results to know what to do about receiving or not receiving chemotherapy. Uh, it's a study that was uh, sponsored or funded by the National Institute of Health and uh, several cooperative virtual, uh, groups have participated and helped to conduct the study. Uh, but more so were the 10,000-plus patients that helped conduct and, you know, uh, have the study completed. So it's a study that is prospective, that had enrolled uh, more than 10,000 patients in uh, 1,200 sites conducted in the United States, and is looking at patients that have had uh, an early diagnosis of breast cancer, estrogen and progesterone, or estrogen or progesterone positive and HER2 negative. Um, their tumors could be as large as five centimeter, as long as their lymph nodes were negative. And, uh, we used to overtreat just based on our feelings about, this is a young patient, the tumor looks aggressive, you know, I can't just not give chemotherapy. And we, we used to overtreat and give chemotherapy to many patients that didn't need it. And they're just cured. With surgery plus minus radiation and hormone therapy, so what the study is really asking prospectively and is the largest study looking at that is really trying to to tailor and give chemotherapy to only those that really need it, and the study was um, looked at the population I told you uh, is basically the 10,000 patients with early stage breast cancer. Um, they have had their surgery plus minus radiation if they had a lumpectomy. And now a 21-gene analysis, which is not the genetic testing that patient undergoes, is the genomic testing of the tumor, and it's looking at uh, basically PCR to really come up with a score. And that score is based on good genes, bad genes, and neutral genes. And it's, a, it's called the recurrence score, the 21-gene recurrence score. And based on that, we stratify the patients into the low-risk, intermediate, and high-risk. The patients with low risk, uh, the initial validation study that allowed us to use the oncotype to really stratify and uh, have prognostic and predictive information from it was really pushing the low risk to the 18. But when they designed the RX, we wanted to be more conservative. We don't want to take chances with patients that perhaps have a higher than 10% chance of distant recurrence. And that's kind of the number that was used as a cutoff to really say we're not gonna push it over that risk because in normal life, before having the oncotype, we're using that 10% as a cutoff to give adjuvant chemotherapy to patients. And we're hoping that even if the benefit is 2%, it's it's worth saving two out of 100 from having a distant recurrence. So the study had had the low risk group defined to zero to 10 and then the intermediate group was the 11 to 25. And the high risk group was over 25, so basically at 26. And we have some facts that we already know. So there was a presentation in 2015 doctor, done by Dr. Sparano, who's gonna present the update of the uh, intermediate uh, risk group. And uh, it was published in England Journal um, in uh, September of 2015. And it did show that patients with a low risk, so we selected carefully up to 10, they did really, really well. And they survived 98% of them and 99% had no distant recurrences. So it was a great outcome. So that validated what we knew and what other studies have shown, the patients in that very low risk group do very well and they don't need chemotherapy. So we feel good about that. That's, that's all the information. We're still applying it every day to save people from having chemotherapy. Now, the question and the presentation of this ASCO plenary session is going to be looking at the intermediate risk group. And in those 10,000 plus patients, 44% fall in that group. And I remember having the study open and putting the patients on and looking at those tumors and looking at the patient and say, Listen, this is a gray zone. We're not sure who needs chemotherapy, who benefits from chemotherapy, but we're going to be aggressive with the hormonal therapy. you are going to get everything else. And um, it looks promising going in the study um, and learning that clear answer who from that intermediate risk group benefits from chemotherapy, if any. So the way that that portion of the study was conducted with 44% of those 10,000 plus, um, they were randomly assigned to receive chemotherapy or not uh, in uh, addition to the rest of the treatment, the surgery, plus, minus, radiation, and therapy. So that population, half of it had received chemotherapy and half didn't. So, you know, we're hoping that that study is going to be As we all hope for, because half of the people didn't get chemotherapy, Uh, in my practice, I can tell you that everybody that participated in the RX with that intermediate risk group, they're all fine. So that gives me a good feeling about the study, but we're not going to be able to really say what it looks like until that plenary session. So hopefully you'll join us. And I do know that this study will help many, many, many patients for either getting chemotherapy for a good reason or forgoing chemotherapy because they feel good with their low risk of recurrence.
0: And that truly brings us to do more individualized therapy and truly tailor, as the name of the trial suggests, the treatment for women who have hormone receptor positive breast cancer. Today, as Carmen already mentioned, we do use the genomic health test for patients that have low risk, And of course, those that become at high risk, we also do use the treatment, uh, we do use the test to tailor treatment and give patients with low risk, no chemotherapy. And for patients with high risk, we do give chemotherapy. So this study is definitely gonna help us uh, identify what we should be doing to those 44, 45% of patients that actually uh, do fall in the intermediate risk, which up to now we were pretty much flipping a coin and uh, either going by our biases and other characteristics that are not as good in predicting benefit or letting us know what the prognosis of patients is as we hope uh, the genomic 21 test um, risk score. Mm-hmm. gene will. And um, hopefully when we come back in July, we will be able to be telling you the details and especially be able to tell you how this should fit clinic and the way we should be practicing from Chicago on. The second study that we wanted to discuss today, as I mentioned, is Keynote 42. Keynote 42 is a randomized open-label phase 3 trial in which we had about 1,270 patients participate, and these patients were randomized to receive pembrolizumab, which is a monoclonal antibody that blocks anti-PD-1. This is an immunotherapy that helps the body's immune system lose its inhibitions and be able to identify It's uh, uh, tumors so that its own immune system, its own defense cells can actually fight the disease. And in this trial, about half the patients were randomized to receive pembrolizumab and half of the patients were randomized to receive standard chemotherapy, which include platinum with uh, pemetrexate or platinum with paclitaxel. And patients that had non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer could receive pemetrexate as a maintenance therapy as well. We, again, cannot discuss the results. We do tell that this was done in um, dozens of centers around the world. We had centers in North America and Latin America, in Asia, East Asia, and in Eastern Europe as well. And we can tell you that there's a press release that tells us that this is positive. This was for patients that expressed pd one in at least 1% of tumor cells, so this is not for all Patients, but it's for about the two thirds of patients that do express at least 1% of PDL1 in their tumor cells. And this trial, again, will be presented at the plenary session. We had a sequential testing, so patients were tested. The first group of patients that was tested was the patients that expressed 50% or more. That test was positive and showed that patients who received pembrolizumab had overall survival. Based on that, we had the testing for patients who expressed 20% or more and finally 1% or more. And for the whole population of the study, which is all of the patients that expressed 1% of greater PD-L1, we did see a benefit in overall survival. Of course, I cannot mention the specific hazard ratios and the 95% confidence intervals nor the p-values today, but we will be showing that at the main presentation at ASCO. We're also gonna be showing the results for the secondary endpoints, which included in progression-free survival, response and duration of response, And we'll be talking about adverse events as well, which has already been um, mentioned that is lower in the immunotherapy arm as compared to chemotherapy arm. But of course, we do have a lot of subgroup data that we need to discuss, as Carmen mentioned a few minutes ago, so that we can truly identify who are the patients who benefit, and that discussion we're going to be having after ASCO. We do have a number of presentations that we'll be seeing at ASCO this year done by faculty from Sylvester. Some of the ones we are looking forward to include not just the one I mentioned in the plenary, but we also have a number of phase two trials that our faculty will be presenting. For instance, Dr. Bree Wilkin, our sarcoma group is gonna be presenting a phase one open label, ascending dose trial of agent 1884 which is an anti-CTLA-4 monoclonal antibody in advanced solid malignancies. And this is a dose selection study for combination with PD-1 blockade. So this is a fascinating early phase study that hopefully will start setting up new standards and new, more than standards, new options for the treatment of patients that have failed other therapies. We also have Dr. Lin Fun presenting a phase 2 study of pembrolizumab in patients who have hepatocellular carcinoma. And we also have a study by Dr. J.C. Ramos who is discussing a randomized phase two trial of Rinostat with our Epoch, which is a classic chemotherapy, in patients with aggressive HIV-related non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? So this is going to be an action-packed ASCO, as it usually is. We're going to be seeing lots of friends and colleagues at ASCO in Chicago, and we hope to bring a lot of this information with us when we come back to present to our community in South Florida. We would like also to discuss one more study in the breast cancer arena, and that's studies named Persephone. So I'll ask Carmen to discuss what the study was and the results. We do have the abstract. And of course, we do have to make sure that we go to the presentations and we see all of the details before we truly make something a new standard of care. But I'll let her discuss what we know today. And um, coming back from ASCO, we'll let you know if we agree that that should be a new standard of care for patients with breast cancer and her to new positive disease. Carmen.
1: Thank you, Gilberto. This is a great presentation. You know, as opposed to me not knowing the results of the Taylor RX uh, I'm a little disadvantaged here because you do know the results. You're the PI and you're going to be presenting. I can't, so
0: can't tell. I know you
1: can't, but it's really exciting to, to be part of it, the team that actually is coming with that amazing uh, study and the plenary session. Um, so like Gilberto said, we're going to be really well represented by the Sylvester uh, researchers there and uh, that's that's great news. Uh, We know that if patients receive care in 11 academic centers throughout the country, their outcomes are better. We know that Sylvester is one of those centers and uh, I think it's really as a result of all the research uh, that is going on from the phase one to the phase threes, uh, to developing the drugs in the labs and bringing them to the uh, to the clinic and it's really fascinating to see how, how that translates into really uh, moving the science forward and I had to say that because I'm really proud of it. In between my residency and fellowship I was in the lab just working on a fusion molecule with Herceptin and anti angiogenic endostatin and all that and it just gives you the 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 good understanding of how long and how much work it goes from creating the plasmid to really catching those mice and injecting them in their tail, which was really not easy, and uh, just bringing it to a phase one and just moving, moving it on. So it does come with a lot of work, but when you see the results, it's really, really exciting. And that brings me to this a uh, study that came in an abstract form, but it made a lot of noise in the social media. And um, even though it's not a plenary session discussion, I thought it was worth mentioning it today because there, are some, um, it, there is a lot of excitement around it and it's uh, already people trying to say that the standard is now six months of Herceptin as opposed to one year of Herceptin in the adjuvant curative setting of those patients diagnosed with HER2-positive disease. And um, this is a study that was uh, uh, performed in uh, United Kingdom. Uh, It was, uh, again, sponsored by uh, their National Institute of Health. Uh, It involves more than 4,000 patients, and it really had um, tried to aim for a non-inferiority result where the aim was showing that six months of Herceptin adjuvantly was equally beneficial to 12 months or was not inferior, basically. So um, the study uh, looked promising. It looks like uh, there was the non-inferiority endpoint was met. Uh, it came with less cardiotoxicity, so the cardiotoxicity rate was only half. It was listed as a 4% as, an, uh, as opposed to an 8% in the patients that have received the whole era for septin. However, many patients have received anthracycline based chemotherapy, and we know that that adds to the cardiotoxicity um, risk factor as well. So what the study uh, aimed to show, um, it was accomplished. Uh, six months looked non-inferior to 12 it may become the standard. It would be amazing if we can select some patients that would be just fine with six months, not only because of the convenience, because of the financial implication, but the cardiotoxicity and the overall um, use of the Herceptin, which came as the first really targeted anti therapy in 1998. And I remember when that was presented, I learned about it. It was the biggest thing at ASCO. And uh, thanks to that drug and to the research that led to it, um, twice as many patients are safe from having a recurrence or dying from this uh, disease. So it came almost to be good news to have her to positive because there is so much research and her septin does save lives. So if we can cut down from a year to six months, that would be definitely a great thing to do for our patients. But we do have to pay attention to the details and see who we can, who we can apply the data to and who we can't.
0: And from a patient's perspective, this is not just fewer side effects, but it's also six months less coming to clinic and getting treatment. Having a
1: port in place and having treatment, even though they love seeing their oncologist, I think they will love not to be there if they can.
0: That's absolutely right. We thank you all for listening. We will definitely be back once we return from Chicago, and we hope that you have enjoyed this, which was our first podcast. We hope to be bringing these to you every two weeks. And if you do have any suggestions of any topics or anything that you would like to hear at this podcast, do let us know. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you so much. You have been listening to Cancer Docs Talk with Dr. Gilberto Lopes, Associate Director of Global
0: Oncology at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. We hope you'll join us next time for an update on the latest cancer news.